welcome to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. My name is Seamus Murphy and in this podcast we look at what net zero means for agriculture in Scotland and how farmers can contribute towards achieving it. To do this I am joined by agricultural consultant and lead of the Net Zero Iron Initiative Alex Perry and a senior renewables consultant John Farker. While Alex comes from an agricultural background and John is primarily from a forestry and engineering background, both agree that net zero is important for Scottish farmers and that there are some simple steps farmers can take right now to get them ready for the future. So I want to start first by just asking both of our speakers today to introduce themselves. So Alex, do you want to go first? Yeah, um, thanks Thanks very much, Seamus, for organising this and, and having us on. Uh, my name is Alec Perry. I am an agricultural consultant w- operating out of the AIR office um, in, in Ayrshire. And uh, as you mentioned, I'm the, the facilitator for the, the Net Zero Aran initiative. Um, so, yeah, a, a lot of interesting stuff happening right now with climate change and, uh, and carbon uh, emission mitigation. So, uh, yeah, happy to be here. John? Uh, hi, yeah, again, thanks for having me. It's the first one I've done, so I apologise if it, if it all goes horribly wrong. Um, I'm John Farker, Senior Renewables Consultant, um, with most of my work based around um, renewable installations and mechanical engineering, but a lot also to do with uh, carbon footprinting and life cycle analysis. Brilliant. Well, I'll just start off then first with um, a question about net zero. There's all this talk about net zero and it seems like it's a very good um, kind of catchphrase for like uh, emissions reductions and climate change, the amount of companies that have set net zero targets um, around COP26 and before that. Uh, and I think I heard on the news yesterday that ExxonMobil, the oil company, have set a net zero target just this week, which seems strange to see how an oil company will be able to achieve net zero. But what does net zero actually mean in the context of agriculture i would say it's it depends who you are and how far you're looking within agriculture specifically scottish scottish agriculture Mm. it's hard to define because unfortunately food agriculture inputs and outputs do not stay within a single boundary so but it's the, the the big concept is okay whatever carbon dioxide we uh, put into the atmosphere, we have to remove the same amount. So there's two ways to kind of get to net zero. You reduce the amount you're putting in, but it's it's acknowledged you can never get to zero. Whilst we still burn fossil fuels uh, and use fossil fuels for various other things, making fertilizer, until we are 100% renewable, we can never achieve zero emissions. So the idea is we offset those emissions by absorbing and knocking away out of the atmosphere the same amount that goes in that's the broad idea how we achieve that is the interesting bit within scottish agriculture it should be okay on the farm it's like okay they emit x many tons that farm should also lock away that many tons that's a very difficult thing to do we have to look broader than that it has to driven by policy and it can't just be agriculture's responsibility it's the whole supply chain yeah i, I think I, I kind of broadly agree with what you everything you've just said there john 
Um, we do a lot of carbon auditing in this office. I'm, I'm sure that's a topic that we'll come on to, to discuss. But, but broadly for me, net zero is capturing the, the carbon emissions that, that the business is, is uh, emitting. Um, but like you say, John, we can't look at things in a vacuum. Um, agriculture is just part of, of the overall system. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's wildly complicated, but, uh, but really exciting. So a key... A key kind of aspect then of net zero is is that reducing emissions we have to we have to sequester we have to get take carbon out of the atmosphere to to achieve net zero but key to it is also reducing emissions so i'm going to hit you straight away what is the best thing that farmers can do um in terms of the different systems that are out there, what what in general are kind of the best things farmers can do to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions? Well, for me, Seamus, when, when we're talking about the, the, the silver bullet, if you like, um, I, I would really encourage folk to go out there and, and get yourself a, a carbon audit. Um, the ability to identify inefficiencies within the system, you, you cannot make improvements to your business until you know where those improvements need to, to be made. Um, and that's irrespective of whether or not you're running a, a livestock um, enterprise or, or whether it's an arable business. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with that. It's, it is, you can't know if you're being effective in reducing your emissions if you don't know where you're already at. Um, and you need to monitor. It's not just the audit. It's also monitoring and recording everything. So it's not a, just a one. The, the audit is the start of it, but you need to know your inputs and outputs. The good thing about having the audit, it will let you know what you need to record that you may not be recording already. Um, mm-hmm. I guess farmers don't want to hear they need to be recording more because <laughs> they're already recording a lot, but quite a lot of this they actually do already have, um, or they have enough that you can estimate it quite accurately, but it's that's the, that's the starting point, know what you've got, and then every single farming system, every single farm will be different as to what is the first, there's, there's always low hanging fruit that you'll go for first of all, and that will depend on the farm. And I, I think it's probably fair to say that, you know, in, in terms of carbon auditing and the incentive to, to do that, I, I like to frame it like this, that, that carbon is, is cash and the emissions are an inefficiency in the in the business. If you can identify that, you can build a more financially resilient business. Uh, you know, we, we need to look at sustainable in terms of, of financial performance, in addition to the environmental outcomes and the conservation outcomes that, you know, Scottish government are going to look for us to achieve. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Scottish government there. Um, we all heard over COP26, uh, all of these different kind of targets coming out. There was a methane pact uh, where countries countries committed to reducing methane emissions by uh, 30% um, by 2030, all these kind of things that are coming uh, down the line from government. What does the policy look like in Scotland uh, towards reducing emissions? I know that there's nothing concrete right now, but what 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 way is it looking what are what are, what are all the signs pointing to well there's been a lot of speculation recently about um capping the number of ruminant livestock i, I know that's a huge concern for a lot of uh, a lot of beef uh, farmers a lot, a lot of dairy farmers and, and and even some some sheep guys as well i i don't think it's going to come to that i'm much more interested in um 
improving the the the, the low end performers in, in the system, if you like, and and um, like I say, going back to to the identification of, of inefficiencies and and trying to to, to to lift the average. I have a feeling, or maybe it's a hope that. In this respect, I can't see anything on the horizon or, or that they're going to do from a policy or, or, a, or a stick thing, do anything drastic. I believe, and it seems to be what's happening at the moment, they're expecting to be driven by the supply chain, by, ultimately by the customers demanding it. And then that filters down and policy should be there to enable that to happen. So if the supply chain demands X many... Uh, so a beef product at this carbon value. There are ways of achieving that, but some of them cost money. And they, they, there already have been capital grants to do with efficiencies and policies and things that maybe help it. But I believe that is the way the majority of it is going to happen. And it doesn't seem, I'm not, again, I may be missing the opinion, but there's nothing drastic from a stick and a regulatory point of view that I can see that would take you to net zero it has to be as part of a supply chain driven mm. thing in my opinion and just on that uh, there there has been kind of quite a few um carrots we'll say for for farmers in terms of capital grants and and those kind of things in the past and i know in 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 Scotland, but under the Farm Advisory Service, you can get a free uh, carbon footprint or your first carbon footprint free um what what do you think i suppose this is mainly to, to alex what what do you think is required to get farmers to make that shift and, and start really considering um reducing their emissions um to achieve the to, to contribute more and achieve and help help scotland achieve its net zero targets i think um by and large the the industry has um, its spearhead. It's really innovative farmers that are really um, ahead of the game in terms of emissions reduction. We, as the the farm advisory service, perhaps need to, to platform that and get better messages out to to the the kind of the general public within the the, the farming community, um, and just let folk know that uh, making changes. Um, Drastic changes in some cases can have real benefit to, to your business, and, and there's nothing wrong with taking a couple of risks. Okay, so if if a farmer has kind of done their carbon footprint, they've done that, they've gotten that that initial um, farm advisory service carbon audit done. What what kind of steps? What 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 are the? And I'm not asking for specific actions because that's going to be different from by a farm by farm basis. But what kind of um, steps what are the next steps for a farmer in uh going about reducing their emissions typically uh, when we've kind of done these on a farm or an enterprise basis it, it the next thing to follow is a plan so the carbon footprinting the audit is the okay this is where you're at then that will highlight what areas you need to address and areas that might be harder to address or impossible or not worth it you might have very low emissions you might have very low diesel usage and you're not bothered about that or, or low light electrical usage um whatever is your highest will be what you talk about it, there needs to be a plan and for pretty much every aspect of emissions on a farm there are reduction strategies that the different experts will know about so the advice and the skills are there there are there are very few that cannot be addressed somehow 
Um, there are some that can't, but as time goes on, they will be, but I suspect, but that is the next thing. Okay, we look at the measures, which strategies can we use to get those lower? Lots of them can be quite simple. Others are more complex and involve a commitment from the farmer. Uh, and, and the hardest one, like I said, the hardest commitment is time. That's when it gets difficult, we find. Uh, cash doesn't seem to be as big a problem as man hours. But it's, it's a strategy how you do it and picking what that, that enterprise has the capability to do. If they haven't got manpower, you might have to target on things that rely on cash. I think for, for me here in, in Ayrshire anyway, when when we're carbon auditing and, and we've got the results of the carbon audit, there's broadly two directions for investigation, for follow-up that, that we can take. And that's whether or not we want to invest in the farm's natural capital, whether that's carbon sequestration or soil health um, options like that, or, or do we want to go down the route of um, emissions reduction from the, the source itself um, and, and look at like I mentioned, the, the inefficiencies within the herd or within the flock um, or, or, or whatever. Um, so I would say that there's, there's kind of two approaches to, to um, devising your strategy to, to moving towards net zero. Um, but I, I also think that it's, it's important that we have a, a follow-up strategy. I mean, John just mentioned the importance of a plan there. And I know this is a bit of a tangent, but um, I, I was speaking at a climate change conference um, back in December and uh, speaking to, to a group of about 100 farmers. And, and I would say that, you know, 70% of them, when asked, raised their hands to say that they had had a carbon audit. But uh, but very few in the in the group will have followed up with a, with a second carbon audit. Um, you know, it's, it's important to take consistent recurring action, if, if you like, um, this is a, a long-term investment you're, you're making when you're you're fighting climate change. I think the key is just not just doing a carbon audit and then putting it, having you know, printing out the the document and just having a, a nice document with all these numbers that don't actually mean much to you. It goes into a, a a folder and then it's never taken out again. It, it's a proactive kind of approach. No more than say health planning or things like that would be with. Um, on a livestock farm, I assume. Absolutely. I think the, the danger is that carbon auditing could become a box ticking exercise for some. And that's that's absolutely what we want to avoid. And I think a very, very, very good point there, Alex, as well, that I, in my opinion, the, the, the carbon audit becomes more and more valuable the more years it's done. The more when you can start to um, develop a, a trend line almost, from your emissions because as we all know like weather can play a huge role in how productive or unproductive we are and as 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 years go by whereas if you have a carbon audit that's following a a, a trend line that is either continuously reducing that i would i would imagine is going to look good to um the market uh, as consumers start to want or want to know the carbon footprint of their products um does that sound does that sound fair do you think yeah it is uh, snapshots are very dangerous it depends what you've grown that year it depends how many fields you've got to what crop or or even kind of down to as you say weather or, or how much how much of the stock you lose or anything like that but yeah snapshots are dangerous 
looking repeatedly and then you can as you say get your a good trend that is decreasing because you could have a year where you're gonna have a terrible carbon footprint because yeah. of losses due to weather um same inputs in outputs are low so so you do need those continuously looking otherwise it could be bad and just to alex continue what what john said there i mean Yes, farmers are always going to have a bad year in their, their carbon auditing. And, and yes, we want to reach net zero um, as, as quickly as, as possible. But um, the the beauty of the carbon audits, and, and you mentioned it, Seamus, having years upon years of data is that you can justify why your carbon audit might not have improved in a, in a given year. Um, you know, we're not out to, to punish people who have a particularly bad year or anything. Um, but uh, being able to explain the changes in your business is really important. And and just to, to add to, to, to all of that as well, once you have the carbon footprint, um, once we have the carbon audit done, there is loads of uh, great um, publications on the Farm Advisory Service website on farming for a better climate that can help you make that next step into uh, actioning what, what's, on the, in, what's in the carbon audit. Um, one question. I just want to go back to this. Um, the the idea of or the or the using the word net zero in terms of agriculture is, is net zero actually an appropriate kind of phrase for us to use? Because if we're if if in agriculture we'll we'll never be able to achieve net zero or, or never it'll never be our target. Then then do you think that the whole kind of uh, the use of the term net zero can can make make it seem um, unachievable to some farmers. Net zero is not achievable everywhere. It'll, so if you're looking at in the farm boundary, some farms have a hell of a lot of land that is unproductive and they could put trees on. Other farms do not have that. So again, we've got to look at net zero as as kind of Scotland wide or even bigger globally, because on a on a farm basis, if Every farmer had to get all the products out the door at the farm gate at net zero. They would have to be certain enterprises would have to be plant masses of trees or sequestering with biochar, all the various things that may or may not be happening in the future. And, and that's just kind of, it's not realistic. There are, there are some sites that lend themselves to sequestering and absorbing uh, uh, carbon. The, the line that we've got to be careful is that the farm themselves doesn't offset themselves so it's out they start doing outside of their boundaries to achieve their net zero they start offsetting elsewhere and that just moves the problem it doesn't actually address the carbon so so it's sequestering is at all but it's not necessarily achievable the science and the maths to kind of work out how many farms are required and how much land the, the land that came out of what was required for out of cop 26 demonstrated the the things that were proclaimed by the governments uh, there isn't enough land on the earth so, so it's, we have to look bigger than just uh, the, the farm over there or even more Scotland. So it, it is a dangerous term in some ways. It's just doing the best you can realistically within your own control. And that do the sequestration and the, those, you reduce as much as you can primarily, then you start trying to um, absorb and sequester mm -hmm. carbon. So it, 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 it's kind of like the, the route to net zero is a route to net zero for 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 the nation for the country um and farmers have a huge role to play 
in that and a huge um a huge task ahead of them in reducing emissions but ultimately it's a contribution to net zero rather than achieving net zero on each individual holding exactly yes I think um, if it's all right, Seamus, I'll, I'll just jump in here. Actually, um, I, I don't want to, to, to undercut uh, my own initiative. Obviously, net, net zero, Aaron, uh, I'm, I'm kind of quietly happy with, with what, we're, what we're achieving. But I do think that, you know, net zero is a term that's, that's banded around a lot. Um, I think everything that John said there is, is is quite right. When we look at the different capacities of different farms and operations across Scotland to capture carbon um, in particular, I, I think that we need to be taking a broader uh, a broader view of, of that. Um, some of our intensive poultry units, some of our intensive pig units, even some of our uh, very productive dairy units will struggle to, to build the the natural capital reserves that are required to to bring us to, to net zero, whether that's peatland or uh, woodland or, or, or hedges. Um, well, there, there is an issue with that uh, that I've I've got said to me plenty of times by by farmers where um, there would be agricultural land or f- farmers who have forestry or woodland on their farm, um, but that is not attributed to the 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 agricultural enterprise uh and and that's kind of down to the the way that the national we nationally report these figures that forestry is separate to agriculture um i don't see that changing um and i don't i i don't think that um it necessarily needs to change but it's going to be a struggle to achieve net zero if we look at just an agri- agriculture as an industry, um, without without that, um, what are your thoughts on 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 that kind of aspect? We've that's always been an issue in in the UK as we we kind of you're a farmer or you're a forester, never the twain will meet kind of thing, and that's that's a cultural and historical thing. Most countries you're just a farmer and one of your crops is trees, um, especially in Scandinavia. That's that's they're all mixed, uh, but we have a regulatory system that separates them out. Therefore, the accounting is kind of artificially. It's forestry's carbon. This is agricultural carbon. It's, I guess, at a, at, a, at a country level, it's not a big issue, but it is on a personal level when a farmer is trying to report its own carbon, actually. I mean, there are there is a, I guess, the, the, it's, it's allowing the protocols and an individual for a supply chain to include those trees you have within your, uh, within your control, I guess. And that, I think that should be a change um, it, when it comes to the kind of official reporting. It is often included in less official reporting, uh, but I think in official reporting, it, it's not. So I agree, yeah. It's, I think it actually could be, and it's just, uh, it's not really, it doesn't need to change how the payments and stuff made. It's just how the whole, yeah. the land holding, the owner can report their, their, claim their carbon for their supply chain. And I think yeah. uh, we potentially run the risk of it becoming a bigger issue to get the accounting right as we progress into the future. If the industries that agriculture are is, uh, is, is compared to are able to make substantial uh, moves themselves towards um, reducing their emissions, agriculture's proportion of emissions overall is only going to increase over time. Um, and, and maybe that's where 
the the carbon audits the 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 record keeping comes comes into play we need to be able to justify the actions that we're we're taking in the long term as well yeah and and just uh, are you aware of what targets what official targets are actually set out for agriculture in Scotland or the UK there's i mean hard targets not really there's they've been reports widely done obviously by world wildlife fund uh uk and others and and nfus have done there is there has been a talk of a number 33 percent reduction could come from agriculture i haven't looked at the details of the, the report that was based on a world wildlife fund report report last year it seems but that's 33 percent reduction against today it's not 33% reduction of the UK's entire uh, emissions. That's that's the, the main one that is it seems to be to me to be bandied around. But within policy, I don't think it is finalised yet. Just um, just to, to again echo what John's saying, I've I've seen the same um, WWF report, and and my understanding is that by 2030 we're looking at was it 33% reductions. So. Actually, I think it's the other way around. It's it's thirty percent by oh. twenty thirty three. I think it's actually the other way around. I'm just yeah. So, but yes, it's effectively a very very steep target for the next ten years. And and then if if I was to give you a magic wand, both of you, you're both from kind of different. You're both from different different um, backgrounds, but I think we're all trying to achieve the same goal, which is a a, a productive. Uh, um, uh, a productive and financially sustainable agricultural sector. Um, if I was to give you a magic wand as to how to achieve those emissions reductions in the UK, as well as maintaining the the kind of the productivity of the industry, how how do you think that could be achieved? It's quite a big one, so you can take a minute. <laughs> wow, that <laughs> is a. Uh... Very difficult question. Magic wand. Oh, I guess primarily I would I would be looking at changing the consumers and a willingness to pay for it. It's costly. I think that's ultimately, and will change over time. I think with education and stuff, it's this isn't free. This there's a cost to so not. The efficiency things, no, that, there's no question. But but to get, if they really want to get towards net zero, that is expensive because you you can reduce your emissions and then everything else is going to cost you after that. So I think it's people being willing to pay for it and being aware of what they are paying for and having confidence that if they're paying for it, it is a, it is a good thing. That's another thing. They've got to be confident that it's actually meaningful. Alex? Yeah, I, I think um, one of my big concerns is that agriculture as an industry itself um, cannot achieve the, the pace of change that's required to meet these targets and that you know right now we're in a position where we can voluntarily make changes to our business i i don't want us to get to, to 2029 um, and to have changes mandated upon us by, by scottish government I, I think that that we want to be proactive here um, and if I had a magic wand, um, I would wave it and magically the farmers in Scotland would want to come on board with, with the climate change message. 
Um, because the, there are there are sectors and, and, and parts of the industry out there where farmers right now are saying, you know, I'm doing enough for climate change. What what I'm doing is, is sufficient. Um, and I think that, uh, that, yeah, it's about encouraging everybody to, to do a little bit, you know, that there's something that you can do regardless of whichever sector you're in. So so what do you think then? That that's That's if you were the magic wand. Now we're back to reality. What do you think is actually going to happen? Um, where do you think? How? What do you think farmers should be doing right now to contribute to achieving these net zero targets that we have? Is it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. Alex said about there's, there's the, the people there who think they're doing enough and think that farming is 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 kind of sequestering and absorbing carbon and doing its bit for climate change. I think the proportion of that is changing. As it's it's over time, I think more people are, and I'm not, it's probably maybe they're forced to because they, their contracts are up with suppliers and, and the supply chain, or just general awareness. It is, I think COP26 changed everyone's awareness of everything, maybe a bit, especially in Scotland, I guess, being hosted up here. I think people are coming to us. People look at the number of people who are doing carbon audits. That is increasing over the last two years, from very few to it's. it's so it, I think the the signs are good, but Alex is right. It has to pick up. Probably, <laughs> it has to double or, or triple what it's doing now. But it is it is increasing awareness and willingness to do stuff. Um, but it does need to speed up. So I think it is the, the Scottish farmers are being, to some extent, proactive. Um, I would say, I think across the board, they 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 kind of okay. Look, we need to address this. It's being asked of by a supply chain, and we're getting the bad press. I think there is it's it's they're very aware of farming is easy to be picked on in the press, it's quite often unjustifiably so. So it, there is a, okay, we need to do something like this. This is our industry. We need to protect it. So I, I think what they're doing now, but speed it up in the reality of what they, I get it done, get the auditing done, monitoring. We just need it to speed up more than it is because it is, it is speeding up, but, but speed up faster. I think that farming's operating um, with a series of, different challenges at, at the same time. Um, we're seeing increasing and, and competing interests for, for land in Scotland. Um, obviously, we're, we're just, uh, we're in the middle of, of a, a period of very high um, input costs, particularly in organic fertilizer. Um, I think that we need to take bold action uh, with regards to, to how we're using farm, farm resources and farm inputs. Um, I think that, that over time, um, over time, those pressures are, are going to force best practice out of out of farmers in Scotland, and, and we're seeing an increase in, you know, um, that thing things like groups. I mean, some of the engagement that we've had um, with the, with the Farm Advisory Service, Seamus, you mentioned farming for a better climate. Um, we talked a little bit about uh, market influences. Um, earlier on, and you know, here in here in Ayrshire, we have uh, a lot of uh, milk uh, buyers that are now encouraging farmers to undertake things like regenerative um, agriculture action plans. So, 
there is that that sense of of adapting to to what uh, sectors are, are capable of achieving. Um, but like you say, John, I think uh, yeah, we just need to be consistent. We can't uh, we we can't uh, you know take our foot off the throttle here. And I think as as you've both alluded to, that kind of all starts with doing a carbon footprint, following it up with actions, and um, then continuing to do that carbon footprint and, and hopefully begin a journey of, of reducing emissions and being able to prove that through the carbon footprinting process. Can I make just one final point, I think, which we haven't addressed, which is maybe quite an important one. It is very dangerous to look at carbon in isolation of everything else. It's so it, if you reduce it, you can, it's just kind of there is obviously it's the it's the the major thing to look at, but it can if you're not careful be at the cost of other things like biodiversity or economics, viability of the farm. Um, so so it's it has to be considered as the whole natural capital, including the biodiversity and also the financial capital so so it's it's a dangerous thing to look in complete isolation i think just um just on that um i'll i'll maybe just build on what what you said there john i mean we're, we're looking at a period now where you know the nature restoration fund has has just launched um next week uh, we're looking at the launch of the agri-environment climate scheme and uh, we are trying to to tackle biodiversity crises um, and I think it would be fair to say, you know, for, for your stereotypical beef farm out there, if you want to really cut your emissions, sell all your cows tomorrow. But we know that economically that's that's not the answer. It can't be the answer. Um, and I wouldn't encourage anybody to go out and do that. Um, so, yeah, we, we can't uh, we can't look at these things in a vacuum. OK, so if a farmer has listened to this podcast and is thinking, great, brilliant, really interesting. Now what? Uh, what what do you think a farmer can the first thing that they should do now after listening to this? I know we've mentioned carbon footprints, um, and that's been in key to go. But where where can farmers go to to get that information about carbon footprints and and um, what can they do uh, right now? Well, I think Seamus, um, we touched on it a little bit earlier on, but it, it's worth reiterating that there is a wealth of materials on carbon footprinting and uh, mitigation planning and, and how to move forward with that. The Farm Advisory Service has mm-hmm. specialist advice um, support for up to £1,000 towards the cost of a climate change mitigation plan. And that will allow you to explore some of the options and maybe model some of the impacts that changes could have on your business. But I think more broadly than that, you know, Scottish government have been very supportive of actions against climate change and biodiversity decline. Uh, we've got the the Nature Restoration Fund, which just launched. The Agri Environment Climate Scheme is returning. We had the Sustainable Agriculture Capital Grant Scheme last year. Um, all speculation is that it will indeed return this year. Um, I know there's a lot of farmers that that really saw the benefit of that, and it, it'd be great to see that return. Um, so I, I think as policy shifts um, and and agriculture adjusts to that, that, there's going to be more and more support out there for farmers to encourage them to to take these proactive positive steps brilliant and john yeah we've said it we keep saying it you can't change what you don't know you need to know what you are what you have now um the first thing is definitely foot raining but it is 
building a relationship with other people who affect your supply chain and its carbon. So the people you're selling to and the people who supply you. Um, so it's not just you in isolation. It's asking those questions of the people who supply you with goods that affect your own carbon footprint. So, and it generally starts then, and then people realize it is not you in isolation, it's the whole supply chain. Start start, start having those conversations early um, before, as, as we kind of alluded to previously in the podcast, before it becomes forced upon us in, in the future. Um, that is brilliant. Thanks very much both for joining. Um, all of the the information and links towards um, further further information can be found in the description of the podcast. You'll find um, loads of information on the Farm Advisory Service website, uh, on the Farming for a Better Climate website. There is a wealth of other podcasts and videos um, for you to have a look at on the Farm Advisory Service website also. Cheers, Alex. Cheers, folks. Right. Cheers, John. Thanks very much. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe to make sure that you don't miss any other Farm Advisory Service podcasts. And thanks again for listening.